after waiting through the legions of goblins and defeating their leader, the bugbear, you've all leveled up to level three. However, you are still in a dark dungeon and you need to find a place to rest. That's okay, man, because level three, my fighter's now a champion. Once you get a long rest, you officially get to be that champion. You open the door to a hidden room behind the bugbear's chambers. And as you get in there and get ready to take the long rest that you need to level up, an eye opens and stares at all of you as you've awakened the Tarask. Damn it, Rainy! <laughs> what? <laughs> a Tarask? We're not ready to face a Tarask. You just said level three. That means we're still level two. That means you're level dead. Wah, wah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Modified Roles, where we're going to be talking about balance in role-playing games, from character designs to encounters and a little bit of some other things. What is balance in a role-playing game? Is it important? Do you need it to run a good game? Let's talk about it. I think the best place to start is in character options um, because everybody wants to play role-playing games so they can take on a role, like, you know, do something that's really cool within a genre or what have you. Obviously, you know, a lot of people are here to talk about the world's most famous role-playing game. So let's talk about classes in role-playing games, right? Um, for example, people know that the ranger and the monk in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons are like pretty bad classes as far as power level compared to others. In Pathfinder 2nd edition, the alchemist has gotten a lot of flack for being not the bombardier that it was in 1st edition, right? Um, so how do you DM, how do you run a game when you know that you have players that are playing classes that are, frankly, different power levels from the get-go? Have, yeah. have either of you yeah. had that experience? I, I think I think what it, I've had it interestingly in non D and D games, and I think I'll talk about that maybe when we get get to other uh, talk about that. Mm -hmm. a bit, but I'll talk about a system with classes, though. Um, we've said that we've talked about this in our session zero uh, podcast a lot. That you know, as a DM, watch what the choices you make your your players make for the characters they're making because they're telling you what they want to play, right? And if someone chooses something suboptimal. You know, some people are power gamers. They play the game to, to live out a power fantasy. Other people are like, hey, I think this thing is cool. I want to be a ranger, right? And I know ranger in the world's most famous role-playing game, in 5th edition particularly, gets a lot of flack. Uh, this is a conversation we've had a couple times that the problem with ranger, mechanically there are some issues with it, and I, I think they've, they've fixed some of it with Tasha's, but the problem is with the way the game is played now. Yeah. Because a ranger is made... For the journey, it's not made necessary for the destination, the character class itself. And if you're building a class that's, you know, cool, good in the wilderness, can help the party, not get lost, all this kind of cool wildernessy stuff. But then you're like, okay, you left town and five days later you've arrived at the, you know, mountaintop fortress. You've skipped you over skip the everything that pillar. that character is for. And so you, right. you've taken that choice away from um, the player who wants to play that. Right. And that's a part of the game that used to be a big part of the game. And I know we'll talk about a little bit sandboxes later on in this, you know, uh, in this podcast. But it's a really there's a there's an example of depending on the type of game you're playing, Ranger in a sandbox is a really great choice because that stuff's yep. going to be important. That wilderness survival stuff's going to be important. If you just like you leave, you get to the dungeon, you do your thing. We're going to fast forward through all the travel parts. Yeah, well, that's a bad choice. And depending on the game you're running. You can. If you're a DM, you, it's your job to communicate to players like this is the sort of game I'm going to play, right? And if they still want to make like a suboptimal choice for that game, I think still you have the responsibility of trying to work some of that stuff in because that's going to like scratch them, right? Scratch their back. I was just going to say, right? don't punish yeah, them. Don't for punish them. Making a non-optimal decision and don't make them make decisions based upon something other than their fun, because we're forced yeah, to do exactly. that every day, all day in the real world. I don't play role-playing games to have to make tough decisions. Well, though yeah, I, if you've watched any of our doesn't show plays, up in our streams. Really. Oh yeah, well, Jean right now and <laughs> honor and intrigue is going through some crap. But I chose that crap for him to go through. So that's different. Yes. But don't make your player don't make people make mechanical decisions that they don't want to because they want to play something else. Yeah. Yeah. 
I was going to say, uh, uh, kind of along the same lines, though, of like mechanical decisions, I I feel like I've seen, and I can't think of an example in particular, but I feel like I've seen some DMs who either homebrew or kind of create like custom abilities that they give yep. to their players, right? That help level. Yeah, up. or magic items. Right. right? And, yeah. Yeah, or magic items, right? And this can get a little bit tricky because you do want things to be kind of even for all of your players, right? So if you, what I've seen them do is if they've given like some sort of special ability to all of their players, right? If there's someone who's like super high level power, they give them kind of more <laughs> versatility, right? So not really like Go level wider. higher, but yeah. like go wider right and then for that person who is kind of underpowered they give them something super cool that will help kind of bring them up to par. that's great advice yeah mm -hmm. yeah i've never I've... done it but i've seen it done to, me. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <funny>. <laughs> to bring myself up that actually far. reminds me yeah. of another conversation uh in these traditional fantasy role-playing games we're going to talk about other uh types of games and systems too but um you often hear that at early levels martial characters fighters are always super strong right like they're just the damage output they're getting you through these fights and you have the quote-unquote squishy wizards or whatever right but then at higher levels those wizards are carrying entire encounters right yeah. um so balance is hard to strike especially yeah. in a game where you have multiple classes that you have to balance Very different abilities between one another yeah. and then at different levels so, yeah I'd, I'd actually will say too that having been like the oldest fart here who's play, who's played those older editions of Dungeons and Dragons the newer editions have actually balanced out I think a lot more yes uh with yeah. with cantrips and, and, and you know the attacks so a wizard will have something to do every round because in the older editions yep. you did not oh, have brutal. you did not have parties without fighters because you would get right killed. you had a, every party had to have a fighter have that's that. the way it was uh and that's and it was literally like you know it was like being without a healer you also had a cleric at every party uh, but now you can legitimately choose any of the classes out of, out of the handbook and just have a party. And there are parties without fighters and they're fine uh, because of that balance. The, so yes, absolutely correct. In the beginning of the game, fighters used to do everything. And then the wizards later on high levels, it's like you were a fighter. You're like, why did I even come? I could have just stayed yeah. home. You know. Um, can I say, here's hot take time for rating and D&D talk. Uh, in my opinion, fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons is very good at making sure all classes are equally powerful because they all revolved around really? the exact same mechanics. You had, uh, you know, daily abilities and, you know, um, rechargeable abilities and things like that. Um, it was basically like even fighters basically had spell slots for their mm -hmm. abilities. And like, you know, spellcasters had spell slots for their abilities. So it was like everyone was working off of the same cooldown-like abilities. And it was really cool because it actually allowed for things that... Um, fifth edition doesn't, you know, have you ever wanted to make like a tank in 5e, but really it's so dumb to just take damage. Like that's dumb, right? Like that wouldn't be a good way to play 5e. Um, but in 4e, there was literally like a defender type kind of character. And your entire job was to get in the front of the line, take damage, stop people from getting closer to your uh, allies. You know, like it was all about disrupting and just being a tank and you could do that. You know, but anyway, you know, I would say now I'm going to piggyback on that point a little bit and I'm going to get it. So we'll talk about design. So this is a good, good segue for E was widely disliked. So yes, it was. that would bring about the, the point or the question then maybe that yes, mechanically it was balanced, but maybe we actually, as much as we talk about it, don't want that when we're playing our games. Oh, I think by the end of the episode, because I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you about the old versions of D and D if you played wizard it sucked for like five levels. And then you were like, hey, this is a payoff now. Now I'm awesome. So it was a choice you made of scrambling to survive basically for the beginning of the adventure. Protect me. Yeah, and begging people to protect you because later on you got to do all the really, really cool stuff if you live that long. So that was a valid choice. Just like being a fighter was more of a, a choice of like, hey, slow and steady output, knowing that towards the end of, of the campaign when everybody's real high level, you're not going to be doing as much cool stuff. Yeah, you're not as special. You're not as special. Um, yeah. I will say, I, I still to this day think that in today's D&D &D kind of, um, you know, sphere of everyone playing it and a lot of it being on Roll20 and virtual tabletops and very combat focused and grid, that is exactly why they designed 4E. And I think that if people went back to it, people would probably like 4E quite a bit. 
um, it was just at the time, everyone was just like, why are you making a video game into a role-playing game? And now we're looking at one D&D and it's like, why are you making a role-playing game into a video game? Yeah. (laughs) I was just going to say, kind of going back off of what you were saying before about following your players, right? Like it it depends on like the game and the story that you want to tell, right? Like you were talking about before that some people do find value in being like a super high powered power gamer, right? And kind of destroying everything. I personally... I get no joy yeah. when I destroy oh, creatures. Yeah. Like I get no joy when my characters are super strong. I find joy when my characters struggle. Fail. Like I love to see how they fail and how they like change from that or, you know, just just the fun in like not being good. Like that mm. that is I find me joy too. in that Agreed. for my characters. So like for me personally, when my classes are out balanced, it can be tough for my DMs, so I'm so sorry for them. But like for me personally as for as a player, I think it's great. I don't think it needs to be balanced, right? I don't ever care about my character being balanced with mm. the other players. You know, there was some good advice. If, if anyone can track down, it was a second edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons book called Creative Campaigning, okay? And it really was some of the best, like, early advice on just, like, running a game that I've ever read, and I still use stuff in it today. Uh, but some of the stuff that it had in there was talking about, you know, sitting down, and, and when we play games at DMs After Dark, we're really like kind of unique, I think, in that none of us are really like the power gamer at the table or, or whatever. We're all like, I know what you're saying. The blisses, the blisses are. Yeah, we're like the blisses. If any of them were, it would be the blisses. But they come from that right. background. But like even, even they, they are, are not, not true power really. gamers. Most of us go really deep into the character side of things. So we're, it's, that's a rare group to have people who are all on the same page that much. Most people have Fair a power right. gamer, a role player, someone who like, you know, writes big backstories, but doesn't actually say anything at the table, you know, all sorts of different people. And one of the things in that book was, it was good advice about figure out who those people are and like play to them. So yeah, maybe there's a power gamer and you challenge them with the big dragon, right? They're going to have to figure out how to kill smog. He's got one scale that's where he's vulnerable. You're going to have to figure out how to do that within the game mechanics. But the role player of the group has to negotiate with the tribes to even get to the mountain to begin with. And the person with the backstory has to come up with the history of whatever that happened there. And they have to do that research and figure out, you know, where the door is when, the, you know, the, the bird knocks on. Yep. All that stuff. Yep. So then mm-hmm. you play, again, it's the same thing I just talked about a couple minutes ago with figure out what your character your players want with the classes they choose. It's the same thing a little bit with their personalities at the table. Yes. You know, and it's hard. Like sometimes you sit down at a game you never met anyone before because you're at a convention or whatever. You're not going to be able to figure that out in like an hour unless you're a great or a game or store. Right. But yeah. if you're playing with people over a long period of time, you're going to figure out who likes to do what. And then you just cater to that. Yep. I will say if you can't track down that second edition AD&D book, uh, the Dungeons and Dragons fourth edition Dungeon Master's Guide is actually some of the best DMing advice I've read. It does the same thing. It says identify what your players want to do and let them do that, but make it Mm. challenging, right? Um, And I think I want to make two points based off of that. One is uh, piggybacking and one is segueing. Um, One is I loved your point that you should kind of, if there's a big arc or a goal basically set a goalpost for each of your players and what they do and make them succeed on like a skill challenge again like something from 4e make them succeed on four of the five of those before they can even attempt the thing you know what i mean um give each of them a task that is meaningful and plays into either their class or their role-playing goals or what have you and then the second thing you said was that oh they're gonna fight smaug right and smaug has one weak scale and that's the only place you can hurt it now, in games like D&D and Pathfinder, you have challenge rating, and we're going to we're gonna segue into encounter balance and, you know, um, a lot of role-playing games, even the ones uh, that don't have a lot of combat, you know, when we're talking about encounters or scenarios or uh, overcoming <clears throat> obstacles, right, they're usually rated on some scale of difficulty. I'm going to, I don't have a jingle for me, but I'm going to talk PBTA for a minute, Powered by the Apocalypse. <laughs> There really isn't a CR, there really isn't like a um, a degree of difficulty in Powered by the Apocalypse games. It's very narrative. A group of level two characters in, du- in Dungeon World could presumably, you know, take on a dragon. There's like a great uh, article written, you can look it up, it's like the 16 hit point dragon, right? And in Dungeon World, it that's what it is. The thing is, those 16 hit points aren't just free, right? Like, yeah. you need to make the opportunities and you have to find within the fiction the way that you can justifiably actually even hurt it in the first Mm. place. Yeah, you have a great sword and yeah, you're going to swing it at it. But like Smaug, 
your sword ain't doing shit to this thing's scales. So your players need to be clever and have a way to narratively, justifiably deal damage in the first place. Yeah. So that's a really cool way to approach balance. It's not balanced, right? But there's also no such thing as imbalance. I just wanted to make a point because we're on characters a little bit and just talk about, because yeah. we talk about D&D a lot. Let's talk about other systems that we might have played where there because I, I, I have some experience with games that have no class systems whatsoever uh, oh, yep. where you can still wind up with a very imbalanced party. Um, example of superhero games. games, right? Like I yeah. played uh, and I've done mutants and masterminds a lot where I've had that, uh, where, you know, I had a character who is a speedster who could run 2 million miles an hour. Good luck stopping that in a fight, right? Like broken. Yeah. Broken. Holy but you know shit. what? Again, I, some people just don't let people take <clears throat> ranks that high. There are certain powers. A lot of mutants and masterminds GMs will just disallow. I don't believe in that. I figure like if that's what you want to play, we're going to figure it out. Again, example from my fate game, which is now here's an entirely freeform game, fate, right? Make up what you want. Uh, we had that game, uh, and I know they love me talking about them. So hi, Ashley, because I'm going to talk about your character right now. Uh, Ashley created this character where everybody else had pretty typical superhero skill sets, right? I had like a portal creator. I had uh, someone who liked to punch things. And I had someone who was like a gadget person like you know electrical powers could manipulate machines and stuff like that and then ashley who's always unique comes along and says i don't really know like she she basically played around with time is the best way i can put it that's such a hard thing like manipulated time okay narrate but not in like the way of like i'm gonna travel back in time to like rome uh but in the way of like i can like Kind of like brief the glimpses into the yeah, past, brief glimpses in the future, into the future. Stop things from happening. Stop time for yourself, basically, so you can like walk around and do stuff. Super duper powerful compared to Crazy. everyone else, right? Crazy powerful. And now you're getting into you know we're getting into the end game of the campaign. And she was very good at basically she was like a really awesome scout for the party because she would be like, oh, we're going to beat these bad guys. I'm going to walk in and see what's going on, and I'm not even going to know what's going on because I'm going to be in and out of there in like a millionth of a second. But for me, it's going to feel like I walked around for a half an hour. Right? End of the campaign, City's being attacked by a big alien robot. She's not really a fighter. Right? And so I'm like, I'm like, well, I, I kind of had some ideas in my head of like, well, what, what can she do? She was the one who came up with like the solution for her and her skill set. I want to go and save everyone else while this stuff is happening. So while the buildings are yeah. like falling yep. down or the, exactly. the, the, the robot was releasing, this is nanite swarm that was going to like mutate people in the, in the city. She's like, I'm going to go save those people before they can like get attacked by this cloud. So nice. she's running around the city, like doing this stuff, right? And these people are just like bamfing out of there because they don't know what's happening. Uh, and so really great moment, but don't be afraid. I guess the point I'm rambling a little bit, but the point is like people in even really open games, they'll, Classes at least are a little bit limited because you class and you level. If you have a really freeform system where people just design their characters, people can sit down and come up with some really cool, really powerful shit. Yeah, let and them. it comes back let to them. yeah, yeah. But it comes let them back and just to just learn how to design around that, right? Yes, yeah. it comes back to being the DM who knows how to yeah. give them what they want based on what they've created. But also, you're also the you're also running the game, so put mm-hmm. limits on it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, and then again, we, and that's we, a did. Fake we game. always ruled like I and I told her right when she started, like you don't know how powerful of a character you've made because she's not really like a superhero person. And we just decided, like, hey, this is the beginning of a campaign. Your character's new to their powers. We're going to discuss this as sometimes you might think of something, and I might be like, nah, that's going to break things, and we'll either write that off as even if it's something we felt you should be able to do, you couldn't figure out how to quite do it yet. Or whatever, you know, you're kind of learning. Well, in so, fate, you it, can it always works. just set that as an impossible to reach number, right? Yeah, like exactly, you know, like, and that's how I would do things, right? But uh, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say and ask, like, what we've talked a little bit about things about whether or not balance should matter and things like that. But like, what do you do when your party is imbalanced and it's a problem, right? Like, what what do you do when someone is like, way if it's a problem, or, like way underpowered? Within the party, you mean? Like yeah, within, within the group the of like, players? If, it's, yeah, if okay. it's like, you know, the super powerful characters overshadowing everyone yeah, else. exactly. It's you have to have, I, in my opinion, you have to have a conversation outside of the game. And be like, listen, other people are not having fun. We might have to back some of this stuff off. I mean, that depends, right? So there's mm-hmm. two things about this. One, it can be that they're either 
just incredibly powerful compared to everyone else, or they're spotlight hogging, in which case that's on you as a GM to mm-hmm. either, yeah, have the conversation yeah, with the person, agreed. but also present opportunities for other people to yep. solve the problem. Exactly. You, like, even if this person is incredibly powerful, they have a blind spot, right? Like, they didn't make a character who's great at everything. And if they did, sit them down and go, that's not fun for mm-hmm. anyone. Anyone. You know? Mm-hmm. But you can come up with ways, you can design obstacles and challenges and things like that that their character would just not be good at and if they get all butthurt about oh this is my power fantasy character and why can't i do this you go because you created a character who's good at x y and z and mm-hmm. this challenge requires l you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you, you done and goof, honestly bro. like all the best characters from fiction have those weak spots yeah you find their achilles heel everything yeah literally right they're just they're not they don't last because they're boring yeah, that was something we wanted to talk about is imbalance within a party. But you kind of talked about it earlier, Jess, where you said uh, you can give either homebrewed abilities that bump up damage if they're lacking in that. And that's kind of something that they're, you know, constantly having to do. Or if somebody is very powerful, don't give them things that make them even better at the things they already excel at. Give them yeah. ways to Widen use their out. abilities in new ways. Why, yeah, go wide, not deep. So we also talked a little bit about encounter balance we, we, we like kind of touched on it a little bit but i don't think we ever actually really talked about what encounter balance really is if we want to Ooh, do i get to complain out. yeah oh well i mean do you want to explain it a little bit and complain sure sure so encounter balance is a concept that you should really only throw obstacles at your characters again from the perspective of games that revolve around combat so it doesn't have to just be fantasy. It could be sci-fi games. It can be cyberpunk. It can be modern games. It can be whatever. Don't throw your players up against something they can't handle. And I will say, I disagree. I do. I too. don't think. Yeah, I don't think you need to throw balanced enco- encounters at I your party. But there are games that pre- present rules as if they should be balanced, and they are not. Oh, I think five it's something points. that's really hard to get right. I, I, and five honestly, points to anyone who I've can guess what game I'm talking about. I've never seen it done right in any game, period. It's impossible. But I mean, there's just so many factors. Yeah. And it's also yep. so random that it's impossible. Mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, at least not perfect, but we can all, we've all played a lot of 5e. A lot of our listeners are very familiar with Dungeons & Dragons 5e. A troll is a CR5 creature. That should be a medium encounter for a group of four fifth level PCs. How many rounds is that troll making it? It's funny, Rainy, because I remember you used this example and you were like two. And I was in my head, I was like one. <laughs> I was Maybe like, one. I was like, that thing would not last yeah, alone. It would be absolutely destroyed in a round and a half and done. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not a satisfying encounter. And it's supposed to be. Um, I will say, I think Pathfinder 2E does it pretty well with the... You know, um, as opposed to being like CRs 0 to 25 or whatever, because it's supposed to scale with level, they just do it where it's a CR uh, and it's all about relativity to the party level. And that's a clever way to do it. Mm. And I've I've found that, um, you know, if it says moderate encounter, you know, most people would think that means, oh, we we definitely win. It doesn't. A moderate encounter is not an easy encounter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and a deadly or extreme encounter in 2E is that. Like, you will get fucked up if you are not incredibly careful. And I think that's good because it should be challenging. I actually had a note here that balance should only exist in your games enough to make it seem like your players really did earn a victory. Mm. But it was never guaranteed. Yep. I agree with that. Uh, I do. And, you know, and that's coming from, like, I'll talk about a game that's infamous for lack of balance. It's probably one of its selling points called Cthulhu. Uh, play yeah. my music. Oh, for rating, sure. Right? Really? Like, Cthulhu's stat block says he eats 1D, I think it's 1D6, investigators yeah. around. Yeah. Oh, just Those are the ones who don't go batshit and crazy just from oh, seeing shit. him. Right? Okay. So... There's a lot of stuff that's in that rule book where you're like, why is it even in here? Because you're never going to, you know, there are adventures where they trot them out once in a while, but, you know, it's always a campaign ender uh, because, like, your players aren't going to survive be? that unless they're like, I mean, there are people who have stories where they did and it's like, you know, those are great stories and they get told for a long, long time because you're not supposed to win that encounter, right? Yep. 
And it's interesting because everybody always talks about Call of Cthulhu and like the one shots, right? Because it's like everybody wound up crazy and dead at the end of the campaign, at the end of the one shot. That's a perfectly valid and fun way to play the game. How do you run a campaign? Yeah. Right. Uh, and I have run campaigns in it. And I found that I had slow to burn, slow burn things a lot. And it's all atmospheric. And I also spent a lot of time worrying about <laughs> what people were going to roll when they actually finally encountered like the big bad thing. Uh, and I had to sometimes be like kind about it. Uh, and I don't regret that because I-, I will say this, it's a lot more fun to live and have horrible things happen to you than it is to just have your character like outright squashed like a bug. Yeah. Uh, agreed. So we did some of that stuff too. Uh, but there's no concept of balance in there. So you have to pick, you know, like the weakest, dumbest, like a ghoul, right? It's like nothing in D and D. Uh, it is a lot of something that can kill a whole party easily in Call of Cthulhu. One ghoul. Yeah, I mean, you're not playing heroes in Call yeah, of Cthulhu. You're not so heroes. Like, the expectation yep. is so much different. It's right? very different expectation, but you set that ahead of time. Exactly. And you just set, and that's my my I have a go-to speech where I sit down with someone and I you've all heard it when we play Call of Cthulhu the first time. And I'm like, we're not playing D D. You're not a hero. Running away is entirely valid ending to an adventure. Like you got scared, you ran away, you never went back awesome ending how many horror movies actually end that way a lot of them right and so balance and and that's still a fun game so getting back to like do things do encounters need to be balanced and us disagreeing with it absolutely not because some of the ones that the best games i've ever had were people going up against stuff that was just like scary powerful and then figuring out a way around it i'll tell this story again because it's it's a great story and i'll I'll pump up the the story because last time i couldn't remember the name of it it's a Call of Cthulhu scenario called The Masterwork of Nicholas Forby, all right? And it was written by a woman by the name of Penelope Love and ran it in my campaign. And it, the whole thing is based around this English countryside and there's a statue on the front lawn, but the statue is really like the bronze encased corpse of a guy who like the artist found out he was cheating on his wife with. So he like, like killed him and cast him in bronze. And now there's an ancestral curse where the statue that like, comes alive and like, fucks up this kid guy's like sons and grandsons and now it's like the grandson's turn right and so they're in the house and this thing's going to come alive when they figure it out and we had one of the greatest cliffhangers of all where they like were starting to figure it out and there's like a hot hot summer night and in england and the eye of the statue opened and everyone was like oh crap and then i spent a week being like these people have no guns these these people the line of the characters it's become a huge joke for us the line, one of the characters, Raleigh, his line was, I have a knife and ribbon candy because that's what he took, like a pocket knife and some ribbon candy to give to the kid to this English countryside. They had nothing to fight what's essentially like a golem, right? Yeah. And I'm like, they're dead. This thing's going to tear the house apart and rip their heads off. And they figured out, Sarah, Yeah. feel better, Sarah, talk to them. Talk to the thing, right? Yeah. Starts talking that's to a, it. That's a Sarah solution if this I've ever heard one. This is such a Sarah solution. And I'm like, yeah. all right, let me look at the stat block. It's got an intelligence of like 11. Okay. It would listen. What are you going to say to it? And they like, you know, managed to like communicate with this thing. So, but because they knew it was such an imbalanced encounter and they knew she really pulled like, pulled something out of their asses out of the fire with that, that's become a like a legendary moment within our gaming circle where we talk about that quite a lot because it was this powerful moment and it wouldn't have been powerful if it was a balanced encounter. I would say an important thing about putting an imbalanced encounter into your game is telegraphing it very clearly yes. that yep. this is not something that you're going to win, right? And it's totally fine to do that, right? If your characters are low level, we joked about it at the beginning of the session, the eye of the Tarrasque opening. That's an extreme example, but let's even take it, let's tone it down a little. You got a young party of adventurers, level two, three, four even, and they're crossing a boggy, swampy, you know, area, and they come across a young black dragon. They will lose that fight. They should lose that fight, and they should be smart enough to know we will not win this fight. So I think the best way to put an imbalanced encounter into your game is to telegraph it that there's an alternative win condition. Yeah. If that's run away with your lives, that's a win. If it's distract it with something else, if it's save an innocent bystander, if it's whatever, that's the win condition. Not defeat this thing. That's not happening. Yep. Live and help or do something else is the best way to kind of make that happen. And we do have a note here in the, the notes here. Um, imbalanced 
design can be mm-hmm. used in things like sandbox games or games that are not really even designed to be balanced as kind of gates to areas. Think about it like video games. You know, you have those open world MMOs and you wander into an area and then you just get one shot and you go, oh, I'm not supposed to be there. <laughs> you know, you can do that in role playing games. You can if like if you're not prepared for the party to go to a place, you can just say like something incredibly terrible is there and if they the still go the corpses of previous adventures like literally yeah, hanging from like a purple you know, worm yeah like yeah, you see right. a purple worm yeah. crest and go under a dune if they're still dumb enough to be like we can sneak across this desert well then that's on them mm-hmm. but you did your best to communicate this is not an area you should be in you know what i mean um and then it gives them something to think about in the future like they get to the next town and they go what are you guys doing about that purple worm in the desert? And they go, fucking nothing, because nobody can handle that shit. And are you going to do anything? No, we can't do anything. Well, come back later when you can, and we'll give you this dope thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, you know, you can totally make imbalanced encounters work. Yeah, I mean, I'm I actually like... a big fan of the sandbox design. They're hard to do as a DM. Yeah, I'm running one now, and it can feel really difficult um, to just put a big map in front of your characters and go, where do you go? I've actually found that, and I'm working on one now for the the region my homebrew game is playing in right now. I almost made the map look like I'm working on making it look like a board game, almost where there are oh, like cool. um, like circles of areas of interest with like little lines between them, and it's like from here you can go to any of these places, mm-hmm. and if you want to get to this place, you have to go through here. You know what I mean? Like, and basically they kind of point crawl their way through the region, and there are you know either random encounters or design encounters or you know, things like that. Um, it reminds me of a Pathfinder Kingmaker a little bit where you're like kind of uncovering the map and like the yeah. different connections yes. between areas. Hex crawl exploration cool. games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've played one of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Jess? Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say before that, I really like the idea of an imbalanced encounter creating kind of alternate options, right? I love the idea of alternate options. And I was going to just say that the way I kind of think of encounter balance or CR is that they're really just guidelines, right? You have to be really flexible. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we've talked about so far are these monsters that are like way overpowered, right? Or way outside of the challenge rating. But like sometimes you could get a close challenge rating and it's just wrong, right? The way the dice fall or the way things happen, like you could have a really easy creature that's just destroying your players. Or you could have a really hard creature that's like gone in an instant. You know, and you just have to be really flexible on kind of how the story is going and how the combat is going and what you're going to introduce or remove in order to make it work. I was just going to say. That's very true. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Even even like you said, if there's a close CR creature that should be manageable, but they're in a terrain that is incredibly favorable to that creature. It's almost like it's not really functioning that way. And again, I would. I'm glad I have not just sat here and complained about challenge rating as a concept because it's bad. Um, it, it's a good, I think it's a good guideline. It, it's like a good guideline of what it could possibly be, right? Especially right. as a new DM, right? Yeah. If you're looking at kind of different monsters and stuff like that and you're not reading through yes. everything, you can get a good idea of like, oh, is this going to be a Cthulhu this that's eating safe. investigators, right? Yeah. Or is this like mildly dangerous? Right. So it's it's yeah. a good general guideline. But again, you just have to be kind of flexible and you kind of get the hang of it as you're playing more. Yeah, I think it's more. a good tool, like Jess said, if you've never DM before or if you're, you're game mastering a system that's completely new to you, you have to. Yeah, you don't have an understanding of that power scale and uh, go back to mutants and masterminds for, for a bit. And, and it has something called power level. Uh, which yep. is, is a decent measure of how roughly, you know, your characters, how powerful they are. Uh, it's pretty good. Um, and the idea with it is, you know, the, putting a supervillain up against them, power level, I think, should be like, you know, four over the average party. So if your average party is power level 10, the biggest big bad who should be able to take care on all of them at once would be like power level 14 plus, right? And that would feel heroic as, as shit. It would. Now, the interesting yeah. thing is it doesn't, like Jess was just saying, it depends on the dice go. It doesn't always work. I had this character that they, you know, I introduced him as a villain. He was he was right within that range. Everything should have been great. And he destroyed, like destroyed them, right? And like wound up like he was beating him so bad I had to be like, he just needs to escape. He vaporized a support pillar on, on a parking garage and he's out and you have to catch it before it falls on a hospital, right? Like I just improvised something because they were getting killed. The next time they fought this condition. guy, right, alternative win condition. Next time they fought this guy, they fought him in a quarry and like just wound up 
with him, like with a bulldozer, like wrapped around him, like he was a hot dog and like buried him under a mountain. Right. Uh, they destroyed him and nothing had changed except the dice. Yeah. So I actually, um, I want to talk I'll take about that back. This. They played, they did some intelligent moves a second time. Smarter. Too. And it was kind of a yeah. cool thing. Cause they're like, Oh, this is what this guy did the last time. And they figured out ways to like get around it. But yeah. Yeah. Tactics definitely play a big part mm-hmm. of it in games mm-hmm. that, you know, that that's a, an important factor. Like mm-hmm. I know Amber's complained about Pathfinder 2E a bunch because it doesn't play as generically heroic as 5E or older editions of D&D. You have to be a lot smarter. And, you know, if you have a party that's not, I don't, and again, I don't want to use the word optimized, but playing to their strengths and using the mechanics. But yeah, it's, anyway, it's funny. Her husband has come back and joined the group and like everything yeah. has gone so much faster. Crushes. Yeah, <laughs> it makes sense. I believe that. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. <laughs> I want to talk about Christian. You may be able to jump in. Jess, you might be able to jump in. I, I know you haven't run a lot of other games, but we all know that I have a problem and I buy a lot of role-playing games you both and have I a read problem. a lot of role-playing games. Who, so me? I want to talk no, about some I don't have a other... I still go to work. Yeah. I, hey, listen. I have to pay for them it's somehow. Healthy. <laughs> it's a collection. I'm a like, collector. It could be drugs. That's... Yeah. Um, but I, I want to talk about a couple games uh, that have alternative... Um, you know, ways of kind of, like Christian said, there's like a power scale, right? Um, Because CR isn't the end-all be-all. 13th Age, a game designed by 3rd and 4th edition D&D designers, uh, which is a very fantasy-style game, literally gives their characters either like a role, like a minion or whatever, or a level. Like, so you know exactly how this character was built. Um, And that can help a lot. That's much clearer. The age systems that I love and talk about christian you and i were talking about them earlier Mm -hmm. um they have it's kind of they're a lot more vague right they just have like minor uh moderate uh major and dire as like categories of monsters or like you know enemies um and they do have templates that will change those so like if you're playing a gritty game then it's even harder if you're playing a pulpy game or a cinematic game they have you know more options and stuff like that yeah, Fate um, has that actually too. It's almost almost a, sim- a similar scale like that. Uh, yep. and it's really just you know how tough your, the best attack is basically on something. Yeah. Um, a lot of PBTA games. Um, some have stat blocks for enemies, but they're very basic. They're mostly just like a few lines about what the creature can do, and some like you know hit points or whatever weaknesses, things like that. Um, because it is entirely narrative. So those are very interesting. If you want to get better at improvising, I highly recommend play a Powered by the Apocalypse game and throw a creature against your party because it can be anything. And it's all about how, like Christian said, how clever they are about taking it on. Um, Interestingly, Invisible Sun had one too. Uh, now that I think yeah. about it. Yeah. It, it Scale just had, one to uh, 10. Yeah. Well, it tier, actually right? went up yeah, to 20 exactly. tiers. Yeah. But it yeah. was how powerful. And it, it applied to anything. So it'd be how powerful an effect, a spell, a creature, or whatever. Uh, you yep. just took that system and just plugged it right in, and it was great as a DM because it gave you flexibility. You know, rather, yeah, uh, to just be like, hey, you know, I kind of have this number in my head, and I know what I'm going for, and I can run everything off of that. I don't need a big stat block in front of me. Yep, same with, and this is one that I hope to return to sometime soonish with our group. Um, but forged in the dark games like Blades in the Dark, uh, everything is basically based off of tier. Uh, so your crew has a tier, and an enemy might have a, a different kind of tier and that difference kind of informs what chances you even have against it right like if you're attacking uh if you're going up and trying to do a score against a crew that is four tiers higher than you well all of your attempts are going to be limited effect right like that's the whole point but you can say oh they're only one tier above us or we're hiring somebody that's one tier above us um and it, it just kind of puts things into perspective for you and you can be a bit looser with those things i just think that it's very interesting to see how other games approach balance. I was just going to um, say, going off of Blades in the Dark, um, I feel like I've been playing more games that interestingly have um, not negative effects, but almost like negative effects while you're doing good things, right? So like Blades in the Dark yeah. is an interesting one. When you like accomplish like really big heists or when you accomplish heists, it also comes with like heat, right? You yeah. accomplished like – stealing whatever but you also get noticed more right so by the police could catch you more you become more infamous right so like you have these good things that are going up you also have these bad things going up as well and um 
I've been playing more games that have kind of that counterbalance. So the only one that I can really think of to name is Good Strong Hands. So Good Strong oh, Hands, yeah. yeah, as you're like rolling, if you fail at certain skills, you end up getting like experience points towards those skills that you're failing at. So eventually you will gain levels in that too, right? So while you're doing bad, you're also <laughs> gaining something. And when you yeah. roll really well, if you get a critical, then you start gaining shadow, which is like this like kind of background reputation kind of thing. dark thing that's kind of encompassing you as well oh. so it's been interesting playing games that have like a counterbalance as you accomplish things you're getting certain, within the mechanics yeah, within the mechanics itself yeah i think nowhere we're gonna do was an like episode that. oh sorry no i was gonna say nowhereville was like that good strong hands was like that i think uh demon slayer was also like that where you like when you accomplish certain things and used your dice pool you were also giving more dice pool to the dm to kind of demon slayer like the anime uh demon slayer it was like some sort of rpg it must be based off the anime maybe the modifius conan and all those other games have that uh, and conan is called doom but it's a it's a meta currency uh of of that stuff like hey you know I succeeded. I have extra sets. I can use them. I don't have them. Can I give the DM something to use against me later on? It's a doom pull. I like. I love. And that. I've, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's it's been very different compared to the other RPGs I've been playing, and I'm like, whoa, this is interesting. It's interesting having this. Stay tuned, everybody, because we will have modified roles episodes on both experience point kind of systems and um, meta currency as uh, a game mechanic because those are both really cool things too and i love that we talk about them in terms of balance because those can be used to alter the balance of a game like it's happening right within now a character. yeah within a character yeah, it's actually really points. cool yeah, yeah. yeah fortune points exactly um i do want to talk about one last game that i really love and i've played uh it's a solo rpg it's not specifically a solo rpg it can you be playing with solo. yourself again rainy <laughs> yes yeah stay tuned i will i will make that uh stream Special a thing um but iron sworn and it's a new game that's being fulfilled soon iron sworn starforged is a really clever kind of powered by the apocalypse modified uh game um that it's really cool you take vows and even you know if you end up getting in a fight with a creature you have to make it one of your vows how you're going to deal with it and then you assign how dangerous that vow is so if you make an iron vow that says, like, I will avenge my family's death from the giants who live beyond this forest. And you set that as an extreme vow, then all of your progress towards that moves a lot slower than if you were to just be like, I encounter a wolf in the woods. It's formidable but you can beat it within like an hour, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like it, like it only takes a few dice rolls to overcome that as opposed to your extreme vow, which is like your big overarching thing. And Iron Sworn can be played with a GM and a party. And I think that's really cool because then the GM can make whatever they want as balanced or imbalanced as they mm -hmm. want based on the story that they're telling with the players. You know, it's very cool how they do that. And basically all it changes is how quickly or how slowly your progress towards a goal becomes. And that's really great. Like if you fight a creature, for example, in Iron Sworn, you make rolls and your um, your margin basically allows you to, or your strong hits or your weak hits, uh, fill in certain amounts. And then when you're ready to end it, you have to make a roll against the progress you've made and then roll under it. So you need to make enough progress or you even feel comfortable attempting to finish things. And if you fail that, well, then things get even more. But it's really, really great. And it's like an in-game balance slider that is really, really clever and great design. So do we have anything else we want to talk about? I was also going to talk about uh, Vampire the Masquerade, which we're, my group is also playing, I think, right now. And Jess. Yeah. Jess, you've hit a blind spot for both me and Christian. Never played it. What, so really? you are you are Never. our authority oh, on World well, of Darkness. Games. I was gonna say I don't actually know if other games do this. They must, but I can't think of anyone other than Vampire where you have because like in Vampire, blood is your currency, right? And you can only use abilities by using up your blood, right? But as you if you do something super powerful, you lose up all your blood and you could potentially go crazy. Or if you it, 
I was going to say, I don't know exactly how to describe this, but like it's balanced in that you only have so much of something and it's not in level, but like you can only do abilities based off of yeah. the currency that you have. And, and then and the rest of my, yeah. my understanding is the rest of the games have stuff like that too. Like Werewolf has like, I think it's Nazis. the World of Darkness. Yeah, the series, world. Yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, it's similar, like where you can do stuff, but it costs you something. Uh, and then as you go up, you know, become more powerful, you have more of it. Uh, and yeah, I. I but again, you're always limited it. by this pool, right? And that there but are consequences cool. to this pool, right? It's not like yeah, you just you can't have let it. You can't let it get too low, or, some, or, or bad things can happen losing. to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to manage. Yeah, so that's been an interesting way to kind of approach balance in a game as well. Mm-hmm. Having to yeah, it, it's kind of yeah. I was gonna say I've like, heard a lot of good things about the game. But I've never played them. That's all. We've started. We started this whole thing talking about you know, obviously the most popular role-playing games that people are probably here to get advice about. Um, and we've devolved into things where, like, games can approach balance in much different ways that are both player and GM-facing that really make, um, you know, playing games like D&D uh, seem needlessly complicated. Or maybe maybe not. Maybe CR is more straightforward than things like sliders and metacurrencies to play for players to have to keep track of another thing you know more bean counting kind of thing um but it's very interesting because uh, i guess you just choose how much granularity you want to your balance i think that's and, what it comes uh, to yeah because sometimes and it also depends on what you're in the mood for because honestly like sometimes you know I, i'm loving honor and intrigue we're playing honor and intrigue right now i think it's a really wonderful like pretty rules cool light system. system honestly it's, it's really easy to understand mechanically, get, mechanically relatively simple relatively lots simple. and lots of options yeah a lot but that's great you know but i but then you know i love that it's great it's a lot of fun i've had a lot of fun every time we played power by apocalypse i've had a great time mm-hmm. playing good society where there's nothing except what you make up you know, it's like, it shows you, you can like, that's the most minimalist rules system I can think of. You just sit around and make stuff up. Dude, I want to run fight with spirit. The anime sports yeah. thing that they put out that uses the same system. I want to run that. Really? So, yeah, oh, same system. But, uh, okay. but my point is like, you know, I'm also in, in a Pathfinder 1E game and crunch. I love it. I love Great the crunch. crunch. I love sitting around and saying, okay, let me look at this book and like read about all this crap, except the feats. Cause there's way too many feats to choose from. Uh, but outside of that, um, I love that. I like that having like fiddly bits to play with, with your character is, is fun. Okay. So it depends. It depends on what the mood you're in. I hate feats more than anything in the world. Yeah. Feet trees coming, got like a having to pick out up. Control. Feet I can't, I can't stand them. 3.5 Pathfinder. Like I hate feats. It's like so Pathfinder much. one. So the Pathfinder one game is literally, this is the only time ever in my history of playing RPGs that I've ever just gone online and been like, what feat should I take for a drink? Oh my God, that's what I do I'm now. I'm reading through this that's crap. That's what yeah, I do I now too. I just don't want to. Yeah. Uh, Everything yeah. else I make, I, I do it on my own, but not with that because there's just there's yeah. thousands yeah. of them. It's too many. So yeah, it got way too bloated. Yeah. Um, I am a little, uh, I, 2E, Pathfinder 2E still has a lot of feats and you make a ton of feat decisions like basically every other level, yeah. but they're not as bad as mm. 1E. And I'm a little worried because the one D and D playtest stuff kind of inferred it's that going they're back going to back feet. to a lot yeah. of feet kind of um, versatility. Because you know what it is, it's a way of it's sense. a way of differentiating classes. Within I, yeah. I'll say, like one of the one the of the drawbacks 5e. of five E is that a thief feels like a You're thief. Done a making fighter decisions is a fighter, after a warlock, is a warlock yeah. and like everybody's character is kind of the same. But feats give yeah. you a way to change that. Yeah, it makes sense. Like after five E, it's a good introduction to veer off of that now. I will say, getting back to balance, I think that going back to the thing I said about uh, your game should only be so balanced that you communicate the goal of any kind of obstacle, and it should be winnable, but it should not be guaranteed. And that should be, or it's all about, I guess, really the expectation that you mm-hmm. set at a table. Like how how balanced a game is going to be should be fully discussed and the expectations should be, everyone should be on the same page about you know <laughs> whether or not there's going to be imbalanced encounters so they know run away or be smarter about it that's all mm-hmm. yeah i agree okay. communications so much in, in rpgs is really about communication yeah i we we really are spoiled here at dms after dark because we, we are very Role play heavy game, uh, game group, and we certainly will not punish people for making silly characters, as evidenced by literally all of our series. 
we got very lucky, like six DMs and also similar play styles. It's it's very, very, very rare. Well, now that we're done bragging and you have to listen to us. You should watch uh, our streams if you about ourselves. <laughs> or listen to them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just wait till we pat ourselves on the back for the DMs. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be masturbatory. The most self indulgent thing <laughs> ever. I, I like might have to cut that part. Face. No, I think you should leave that in. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could do the Sarah thing. Okay. Yeah, do the Sarah thing. Do the Sarah thing. All right. Uh, for our sick Sarah, I will attempt to do her incredible sign off that she's got down pat. Here goes. Thank you once again for joining us for this episode of Modified Roles. If you like what we do here on the internet, all the silly, stupid things that we do and talk about, consider giving us a rating on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. It goes a long way for us uh, finding more listeners, uh, just kind of being put out there. If you like listening to us and want to see us play, feel free to hop on twitch.tv slash dmsafterdark every other Friday. You can watch our videos on YouTube. We are on all the social medias at DMs After Dark. And if for some reason you want to talk to us directly, email us at dmsafterdark at gmail.com. Jokes, criticisms, thanks, anything, go for it. We enjoy getting the occasional email and uh, we are pretty good about responding. So I guess um, until next time, Stay balanced. balance. <laughs> that was a good. Perfect. <laughs> there it is. Yep. Rainy here jumping in after the episode because I forgot a game that literally has a mechanic called balance. And it is a game we've played on stream, which is Avatar Legends, the role playing game. Uh, it's actually a very cool player facing. Uh, thing about your own character's journey where you are torn between two ideals of your character's playbook and over the course of playing a series a game a campaign what have you uh, that can shift from one extreme to the other and when you are in balance with yourself you actually have access to a really cool move but it's very cool to explore your character as they kind of waver between their obligations and their personal you know quests in some cases in others it, it's based on your character's playbook but balance once again is a player facing thing very cool can't wait for all the avatar stuff to come in i do hope we revisit that sometime in the future too but man we only have so much time for so many games see ya